Okay, uh, welcome everyone to episode 10 of the Citizen's Guide. Thank you as always for joining us. Um, like I say every week, we've got a super busy show. Uh, so today we're gonna talk about uh, the president's taxes, the news that broke a week ago on that, Tuesday's debate, a new poll with some really great news for Joe Biden, the president's ongoing COVID diagnosis, uh, some controversial statements made by the first lady about her job, and then finally, we'll discuss some disappointing news in Tennessee politics. And then at the end of the show, we're really excited to share uh, some interviews that Connor and I have done with some college age voters about kind of their plan to vote and their motivation for voting. Uh, so we hope you enjoy those interviews. Uh, but first up today, Connor, tell us, tell us about the news that broke as soon as we finished recording last week regarding the president's taxes. Believe it or not, our takeaway from just finishing the podcast last week was President Trump's tax returns were examined by the New York Times, and we thought this would be this would be the story we'd dive into. This is the debate. Um, yeah, it kind of got lost with everything else that's happened, but important nonetheless. So just brief, here's some brief takeaways from the whole tax stump. The president paid no federal income tax 11 of the 18 years that the New York Times obtained. Um, his biggest loss of revenue has been his golf courses. Um, six, since 2000, he's lost $315 million at his golf courses. And, it, and it's these losses, these monumental losses that allows him to pay lower taxes. Um, he's taken tax deductions and write-offs on personal expenses like residences, aircrafts, and haircuts for TV. Um, Ivanka Trump was paid consulting fees while an employee of the, organ of the Trump Organization to lower their tax burden. Um, the past two years, he only paid $750 in federal income tax. Um, but the, the, the big thing is that his reported losses were so large that they allowed his organization to claim that he made no money, so he didn't have to pay taxes on any, any of that money. Um, perhaps the most troublesome that got overlooked was that he's personally responsible for $420 million in loans that will be due in the next four years. Um, did I miss anything that stood out to you? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this was obviously um, not the most surprising news that I would have imagined. Um, just a quote from the New York Times piece that broke all of this. It said, quote, ultimately, Mr. Trump has been more successful playing a business mogul than being one in real life. I think that's a great kind of summation of it. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about kind of what this like means in like the bigger picture. Like, yes, it's objectively bad from our perspective that the president doesn't seem to be paying his fair share and that our tax code is written in such a way that allows people like him to avoid uh, uh, paying their taxes as they should and like just all these workarounds. But I wanna talk a little bit about kind of the, the thought process that's behind this tax avoidance. And I think for me, it's just like really offensive that the president has paid less in federal income tax than the average school teacher, nurse, um, other public servants. And I think conservatives have gotten so good at this like approach to taxation, especially since like the Reagan era of that taxes are evil and that taxes never do anything good. And I think I want to talk just a, a tiny bit about that, about why that's such a dangerous proposition because taxes, like, yes, sometimes your tax money gets wasted, um, but really often it pays for roads, bridges, schools, 
um, firefighters, really important services provided by the government. What would, I mean. Even right you... now, like our tax dollars fund the studies for the coronavirus treatments that the president has gotten this past weekend. That... Right, which we'll talk about later. <laughs> yeah, yeah it just... just, I just want people to think about like, yes, like you probably think it's annoying that you have to pay taxes on your income and things like that. But I really want everyone to like to make this a moment to take a step back and appreciate like the work that your tax money does in the long run. And that rather than avoiding paying taxes or like thinking it's like a good business strategy, we should elect people who will spend the tax dollars wisely. I think that's, that's the biggest takeaway I got from this story is that, is that it, it matters who governs and it matters how those people approach taxation and spending. So, and it matters like the tax code that's written to make sure yes. these loopholes are closed. Um, just, I think the scariest part for me was the $421 million he owes. And we don't even know who he owes it to, but like if it's due within the next four years, like these lenders will have to make it a choice of whether they foreclose on a sitting president. Um, right. Which, and I think one thing to note is that a lot of these lenders are not domestic. It's not like he owes it to like a bank situated in New York. It's more likely that he owes it to um, Deutsche Bank, which is a German bank that is involved in a lot of very shady business deals. He probably owes money to Ukrainians, to Russians, to uh, you know Turkish investors. These these countries that are governed by oligarchs or dictators and yeah, like you said, it's it's scary to think that they have that kind of leverage over him. And he claims that they don't, but I mean, if people have been paying attention, you know, maybe we don't take the president at his word. Um, but yeah, that that is scary. I think that should concern people, especially given the amount of power the president has in terms of foreign policy. Um, that's a spot where Congress just doesn't have um, as much oversight. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I, there, there's a quick solution to not be worried about it anymore and it's to elect Joe Biden in a month. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but that, yeah, that's the tax story. I encourage everyone to like seek out that New York Times piece. Um, I know the journalist who broke it is gonna be releasing more information in the coming weeks because it is such a massive story. You really can't fit it all into one piece um, and it'll kind of develop. So we'll be looking out for that and, and bringing our hot takes about the president avoiding um, paying his fair share. So the next thing I wanna talk about is the debate that took place on Tuesday, which feels like five months ago. Um, so obviously there was a debate between Donald Trump, Joe Biden, moderated by Chris Wallace of Fox News. Um, Connor, I know going into it, we uh, had our discussion about it and I don't know, I, we both watched it all the way through, but I, I mean, there wasn't really any lasting moment for me. It was just 90 minutes of chaos. Um, I thought just from my point, like Joe Biden, he did well, um, better, better than I expected him to, honestly, especially in the face of Trump constantly interrupting and lying and just doing everything we expected him to do, but times 10. Um, what, what did you think about the debate? Like, I think for the first minute, for the first like two, three minutes, I remember telling you like, 
what the president's not on his game like if he's just like this kind of like calm and sort of reserved i think we might have had like a problem with like the narrative of having a new tone but then that just all fell apart i don't even know when i think whatever it doesn't matter because like he's not capable of sustaining an coherent message besides just being a lunatic on stage um as for like outstanding moments i don't none of them nothing stands out to me except for when donald trump or joe biden was talking about how his son Bo biden was not a sucker or loser and then trump just started yelling about um joe biden's other son hunter biden who was like who he attacked for having a drug problem and getting discharged from the military um the but then joe biden recovered and said like he was proud of Hunter for overcoming and fighting his addiction. Um, and that, that right there, I think, encapsulates why Donald Trump's going to lose. He, he demonstrates no empathy, no, no understanding of like human compassion, no, no, no recognition for like acknowledging and talking about like personal problems. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point about that specific interaction in the debate. I think most if not all families in America can relate to the idea of at least having a relative who suffers from addiction and to have a candidate on stage um, try to use it as an attack line to say that Joe Biden's son um, had an addiction. Uh, it just didn't work. It really backfired because Vice President Biden took it and turned it into, yeah, like you said, like pride on his son and his son's ability to, to get healthy and and i think a lot of americans see that and say like yeah like they you know if they personally don't have those issues like they know someone who does and that's just a really powerful thing to to play out um in front of a huge audience um but yeah basically americans didn't learn anything on tuesday that they didn't already know they knew the president was a liar and they knew that he he doesn't have a plan to fix any of the problems we're going through um, I do hope that some people who were formerly maybe not super well introduced to Joe Biden kind of know who he is now. Um, but it was so hard for him to just get anything out without having the president interrupt him, claiming just conspiracy theories, unproven conspiracy theories, and just insults. And so, like, Joe Biden, Joe Biden like you said, did the best he could, but he wasn't able to communicate. Yeah, I... I know the next debate between them, at least that's planned. I don't know how the president's uh, COVID diagnosis is going to affect this, um, but it's supposed to be a town hall setup. So I think it will be more difficult for the president to interrupt Joe Biden so much when you're in a crowd of undecided voters. Uh, I think he'll be more likely to let Joe actually speak. Um, and I think that'll be something that shows Joe Biden's strength because I think people will ask him questions about like, healthcare and and the military and the environment and things that he can really connect to and, and make personal. And that's, I think, where his strengths are really going to show, which not that he's doing poorly. He, I mean, Joe, Joe Biden really couldn't be in a better position right now. Um, before we get to the poll, um, I want to point out that there's going to be a debate between Kamala Harris and Vice President Pence uh, on Wednesday of this week. It'll be at the University of Utah, and it will be moderated by Susan Page, who's the Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. Um, do you want to kind of preview that debate at all? Um, 
like, I don't even know how it's supposed to like go. Like, I don't objectively Mike Pence is a better communicator and like politician than Donald Trump will be able to communicate points more effectively. Um, but he doesn't have a lot to communicate. He hasn't done a lot. Um, Mike Pence was in charge of the coronavirus task force and the president has coronavirus. So I don't know how well that shapes up as to <laughs> a record of his leadership. Um, Kamala Harris, a good communicator as well. Um, I think it'll probably be like a debate like we're used to, but not really because the president is in the hospital and 200,000 Americans have died because he's in the hospital. Yeah, I think, I think like you said, with the president in the situation he's in, maybe the stakes are higher than they typically would be for a vice presidential debate in that voters are potentially looking at Pence as someone who, um, if the president were unable to carry out his, his duty that Pence would take over, so they might be considering, you know, is this really someone I want to be in charge? Um, one thing that Kamala Harris has to her benefit is that she went through uh, several debates in the primary and I don't think anyone would claim that her debate performance was the reason her primary campaign was unsuccessful. I think there were underlying issues with the larger campaign, but her debate performances were largely positive. And I, I don't know, I'm very optimistic about her ability to communicate really well in that format, especially with only one other person on the stage. Um, so I'm very excited to see that. I think, yeah, like you said, it'll be more informative than Tuesday's debate because I don't think either one of them is likely to be as such a disrupting force as the president. Also, I wouldn't put it like, I wouldn't put it past us. Like something could happen between now and then that just completely upends what the debate's about. Or like if even there is a debate. Right. Yeah. Um, I know they've, they, the teams have been going back and forth about like different regulations and like the Harris the Biden-Harris camp was fighting for there to be 12 feet between the candidates because Mike Pence was exposed to COVID um, the, at the same event that the president was. So there's a fear that he is potentially carrying it. Um, and then they'll also be sitting. I don't know if you saw that, but the, the Pence team like was very adamant that the two candidates be sitting down during the debate, like at a table. I, do you have any like interpretation I, of that. I know we didn't talk about doing this in the show, but I, yeah, I just I that this morning and I don't know how to place that. Kamala Harris is not like a tall person. So it's not that she would like bear over him. I don't I, know. <laughs> I don't, yeah, that's an odd specification. Um, maybe. I think some debates in 2012 and 2008 were seated like between President Obama and Mitt Romney. Well, I know they had the stools in 2016. Um, yes. Donald Trump both had stools. They kind of sat at, at a podium. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know what that means. Okay. I, my interpretation is that they'll be actually like seated at a table, that it won't really be the stool thing. But yeah, that's just something to watch out for. I don't know why. Maybe after Wednesday, it will become clear. Um, but okay, so that's enough debate talk because it was chaos and I'm sure listeners are tired of hearing about it because it was such such a such a mess um but there is a new NBC Wall Street Journal poll out uh today that was taken uh the two days following the debate so it it's in like a very interesting spot like it it takes into account the debate but it doesn't take into account the president of the United States um 
testing positive for COVID-19. So this is like very much a look back in time. Um, but it has Joe Biden leading Donald Trump nationally by 14 points. So that's Joe Biden with 53% and Donald Trump with 39%. Um, and this is Joe Biden's biggest lead of the entire 2020 cycle. So going back to last year, um, this is the highest uh, or the, the largest the margin between them has been. Do you have any interpretation of this poll, Connor? Um, I mean, good news for Biden on a relatively stable race, not accounting for what happened this weekend. Um, I don't, I, I don't see how this is any bad news. There's no bad news in here for him as a candidate, as a campaign. Like he's doing what he's doing, and it's working. Like it doesn't. Like I don't know. Like it shouldn't be hard to explain. Like. Right. He wasn't a lunatic on stage. He was the <laughs> victim of like brutal attacks on his family and like personal, a personal vendetta from the president because he is unhinged and just crazy and he knows he's losing. Yeah. So another, I know I said I was done with the debate. Another moment that comes to mind going into the next segment is that Donald Trump ridiculed Joe Biden for wearing a mask. He said something along the lines of, you know, this guy wears a mask when he's 200 feet away from people. It's the biggest mask you've ever seen. Um, I wonder, as the president lies in a hospital bed, if he's wishing he had the biggest mask you've ever seen. But he doesn't, he doesn't even understand that. He doesn't understand. Oh. Um, I, one, one thought I have left on the whole sort of thing is that about Joe Biden's character, like, as the president was attacking his family and his children, I applaud Vice President Biden for not bringing up President Trump's children, who are just criminals in their own right. There would be there would be a lot to say about about the first family if we if we uh, yeah. were, were playing their game because uh, I've seen I've seen Donald Trump Jr.'s glassy eyes before, and and it's it's not because he just woke up from a nap. And that's and that's why I think Joe Biden is doing so well in these polls and just nationally is because he's a man of character and running against opponent who has none. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. Um, now, Connor, tell us, tell us about the, the other big news of the week. So first we have the president not paying his taxes. Then we have a debate that goes off the rails. And then now we have a president who has uh, been infected with uh, COVID-19. So, um, the timeline's messy, per se, of like putting it lightly of how exactly and when exactly and how seriously the president is, was, will be, just in general. Um, starting from the beginning, it looks like the White House Rose Garden ceremony on Saturday, September 26, for the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett um, was a super spreader event, um, eight people who attended the ceremony have tested positive for the coronavirus. Um, since then, the president has been to a debate. He went to a rally later that night. Um, Wednesday is when things get a little bit more clear. Hope Hicks, his senior advisor, felt ill sometime on Air Force One on the way back from a rally and fundraiser in Minnesota. Now, the president knew he was exposed because Hope Hicks tested positive that day um, or later or early Thursday. Thursday, he might have tested positive. Wednesday, he might have tested positive. 
between Wednesday and Friday, like there was communication in the West Wing that the president was exposed to coronavirus. And in that time, I think just the broader picture was that he went to another fundraiser at Bedminster, New Jersey, where he interacted unmasked with hundreds of donors. I think that's the bigger picture, the sort of clear timeline between those three days. Then Friday, you have him officially tweeting that he tested positive. Um, then Friday, he also left for Walter Reed. He was medevac to Walter Reed on Marine One. On Saturday, he was either doing really well or he had lots of drops in oxygen levels and his chief of staff said off the record that he's not doing too hot after his doctor said he was doing pretty well. Sunday, he's gotten some treatments. Um, like, just, I don't know. Like, it's insane. I don't know. Is there, like, any gaps you want to fill in between that? Any, any? Yeah, I don't, I, that's, that's the timeline as we understand it on Sunday, October 4th. I have a feeling the timeline is going to change between now and the time that people are listening to this. But can I say one thing real fast? Yes. None of this, what's clear is that none of this would have come to light if it wasn't for a reporter who like found out that Hope Hicks tested positive. Right. The White House had no plan to tell anyone that Hope Hicks tested positive or that she might have exposed the president. So like they would have just gone on most likely doing their thing with the president testing positive. Yeah, that's a good point. And I have a few points. I think <laughs> um, first, the kind of the discrepancy in the timeline is because the doctors from Walter Reed and the White House and the president's physician, so you kind of have three different people or groups of people are all giving like conflicting reports. And that, like, I don't have an answer for that. Like I don't have, I don't have an inside like view of Walter Reed Medical Center. Um, so that's a source so like doctors like potentially can't be like the president's physician cannot be trusted like we know that much the white house cannot be trusted so like the best hope is that like people at walter reed like leak news to the press which is just a unhealthy way for democracy to function um and then yeah just like the whole ordeal like i'm not going to claim to have seen this coming but like in hindsight, like this is always where we were headed. Like in January, the president knew that this was a dangerous virus. It was killing people in Asia. And he has sat on his hands for 10 months now. He hasn't done anything. Well, no, he's done something. He's actively given places for the virus to spread rapidly and uncontrolled. <laughs> right. He has been an ally of the coronavirus. And so that's, that's like the bigger view I want to take because... Like the president is one person, but 200,000 Americans have died. Many more have been infected. Like this, like this is always like the direction the train was going. And like to, to act surprised that he is not somehow immune to illness because of the dangerous positions he puts himself in is, is stupid. And another thing that's really, really frustrating is that the Trump family, when they went to the debate on Tuesday, not one of them was wearing a mask. The, the Cleveland Clinic had a rule that everyone in the room would be wearing a mask except for the candidates and the moderator. And the entire Trump side of the room refused a mask. So they, and some of them, such as Melania, the first lady, 
have since tested positive, thus exposing Joe Biden and the rest of his family to coronavirus. And they don't, and they just don't see anything wrong with it. They didn't notify the Biden camp when people started testing positive. The Biden campaign had to find out the same way the rest of us did. And that's, you know, on Twitter or on, on cable news. Like, it's just ridiculous that they have that little respect for the people around them. And if, if they have that little respect for, for their own family, imagine how little respect they have for us, people they don't know. So that's, yeah. that's a little bit about how I feel about it. And, oh. and of course, like, I don't wish the president physical ill, but like, again, like this is what happens when you behave the way that he has. So like, I'm not going to sit here and say that, you know, I hope he gets better tomorrow. Like maybe it will be good for him to suffer a little bit of what Americans have been suffering. And then just another point, and then you can, you can say something. The healthcare that he has access to is funded by taxpayers, of which he is not. The $750 that he paid two years ago is not covering the Walter Reed medical bill. It's, it's not even covering not. one dose of his experimental treatment. It's right. covering less than one dose of he his He has access treatment. to resources that the rest of us don't because he is president. And I'm not saying he shouldn't, but at the same, the event in, at which he most likely contracted this disease, he nominated a judge to be a justice of the Supreme Court who will overturn the Affordable Care Act and strip healthcare from millions of Americans. Like the irony is just baked into the cake at this point. Like it, it just, it escapes words how ridiculous this entire situation is and how angry people should be about the way he has treated his job as president. Yeah. Um, what you said, like, it's just <laughs> insane because <laughs> I think I say this every, every, every week, everyone in that White House is dumb or they are stupid because the president demands that they just go to his will and like what he thinks is right, but he's stupid too. So everyone is stupid and acts in stupid ways. They're, um, they're either stupid or evil or potentially both. It's, it's probably a mix of both. Um, just to sort of like put into picture like just how awful this event was they the people that tested positive so far that we know of from this event donald trump melania trump hope hicks um nicholas luna his assistant to the president senator mike lee of utah senator tom tillis of north carolina kellyanne conway campaign manager of trump trump's campaign manager bill steppen um president of Notre Dame, John Jenkins, and, and debate prep coach, Chris Christie. Um, <laughs> but you also have multiple other senators testing positive as well. You have Senator Ron Johnson, who tested positive from this, and he went to an Oktoberfest GOP party while he was awaiting his COVID-19 results. And he still won't wear a mask. He still won't wear a mask. Because he said he wasn't feeling ill, Connor. And, it, and as we all know, as we know from 10 months of science on this virus, if you don't feel sick, it's because you don't have it. And then just... And that, of course, is not the truth for any listeners who are confused about the sarcasm. Again, to frame this in, like, this all starts in a Supreme Court nomination battle, and you have two... I don't know if Ron Johnson's on the committee, but two senators on the Judiciary Committee 
who are not able to participate in hearings on the nominee and you still have Mitch McConnell saying and Lindsey Graham saying she will be nominated before the election which is bonkers and just it shows is. how low they will go to jam through a ideologue onto the bench. Yeah. And I, and this is again like spiraling into just a whole discussion about COVID as it should. Yeah. But it's it's baffling to me that Congress doesn't have a uniform testing strategy. Like I you would think again 10 months into this that every member of Congress would be getting a test every single day. Or at least that the days be, they're on the floor. Yeah, that seems logical to for for a cohesion of government for leaders to be tested often to make to like catch it early and again like those that opportunity should be available to all americans like everyone should have a test like when they're sick like this this isn't that hard um, but it has been made difficult by a by a major political party that refuses to believe science uh, and is as pandering to a a fraction of americans who think that wearing a mask is some globalist scheme by george soros to control them like, and I don't know how to get into communication with those Americans. I don't think there are listeners, um, but that's, that's kind of the, the extent of the problem. And the solution is not readily apparent other than in November to vote every single Republican out. And again, if you, if you think that maybe perhaps this might remind Trump voters, Trump supporters that, wow, maybe we should be taking more precautions um, no, that's not the case. You had a Trump supporter go on television and argue that this was the reason that social distancing doesn't work because the president contracted it at an event where they weren't social distancing and weren't masked. Um, I don't know how far removed from reality you have to be to say that. The fact is that the NBA was able to pull off a better coronavirus handling strategy than the president of the United States. Because they listen to science. Um, they listen to science, and it's not that hard. So that, that was frustrating just to hear that there is no bottom for these people. There is no, there's no, there's no moment of redemption. There's, if, if Donald Trump has got it and has gotten seriously ill, as evidence suggests that he's gotten seriously ill with it, and they're still holding mask, maskless events and denying the science, then there's no, there's no hope. <laughs> That's yeah. it. These shouldn't be in charge of handling a pandemic yeah yeah that's that's exactly right i like yeah that's i it just it again like it escapes words how idiotic all of this is like i i don't have like a there's no like complex it doesn't take complex theory to explain why all of this is happening and how stupid it is nope um, just to sort of like frame everything with information we have Sunday on how the president is doing and how what sort of treatments he's gotten. Again, all of this is a rough estimation between like the three different groups you talked about. Um, so it's definitely confirmed that he had to have supplemental oxygen on Friday, possibly Saturday, but also on Friday and Saturday, he experienced significant blood oxygen drops. Um, he's been treated with the Regeneron antibody cocktail, which isn't even in, like, is not available to most Americans, but it's outside a clinical trial. Um, he's gotten two treatments of the drug Red Metasphere and is now being treated with dextamethasone. Phone. 
it's a steroid it's a steroid used to treat patients with serious breathing problems um i don't you can't trust trump's doctors but from the medical experts i've seen you these three different the three main different the three different um treatments he's getting the cocktail the remetosphere and the steroid all three of those are used to treat a patient at different stages in the virus allegedly like none of these are proven to have any sort of like real effect on the virus the steroids used late stages on patients have shown the most benefit on patients in late stages with breathing problems on supplemental oxygen or on a ventilator so like no one knows how well the president is doing until i don't even know i don't even know if we'll ever learn how serious it is or how serious it was um but you had him tweet out a video two videos of himself and they released two pictures of him signing his name on a blank sheet of pieces of paper um two pictures taken 10 minutes apart and one of the videos was visibly edited um to to because the president coughed during it and you can see the moment that they edited the cough out um yeah and there's some reporting that he will potentially be released tomorrow but the white house is very much equipped to serve as a treatment uh, place for a, for an illness like this like this if he's released tomorrow i wouldn't take that to mean that he's 100 percent healthy um the science tells us that when you contract covid you aren't 100 percent healthy um if ever for for several months at least and they said they noticed some abnormalities on his lung ct scan right but they don't explain what that is so and, and they never will unless nope. it unless the information leaks we will never learn what that is um there's a long history of doctors working with the executive office um to never, shield presidents from this kind of scrutiny never in the benefit like i thought we've learned this right. lesson no <laughs> i don't think we have <laughs> and i don't think we ever will um but what's what my final thought is even today we don't know when Trump's last negative test was. Um, they asked the doctors, the doctor said he'll have to ask the nurse. So what that should raise is red flags is, did he know Tuesday? Did he know Wednesday? He definitely knew Wednesday. And then the bigger story is that he went to events publicly without a mask with lots of people, sometimes in close proximity and knowingly transmitted the virus. Yeah, it's not a question of did he uh, knowingly transmit the virus, it's to how many hundreds of people did he knowingly uh, expose to coronavirus. That's the question. And that kind of judgment just shows the moral depravity of his character. Um, and I, I hope people remember that. <laughs> okay, so um, now to Donald Trump's other half, Melania Trump. Um, she was in a little bit of hot water for about five minutes on the news right before they were diagnosed with COVID as a couple. Um, so her former friend and senior advisor, Stephanie Winston Walkoff, has uh, published a book titled Melania and Me, and it is based on a series of tapes which she secretly recorded while she was working in the, I guess, the East Wing. Um, <laughs> And to say the least, these recordings do not paint a glowing picture of the First Lady. 
Um, so I'm just going to read through a few quotes and I am going to censor myself because I refuse to say some of these words on, on a recording. Um, so the first lady said, quote, uh, they say I'm complicit. I'm the same like him. I support him. I don't say enough. I don't do enough where I am. So that's her complaining about um, like the child separation policy at the border of people wishing she would engage more with him on that because she herself is an immigrant. And then another one, quote, I'm working my butt off on the Christmas stuff that you know who gives a F about the Christmas stuff and decorations, but I need to do it, right? So this is the first lady complaining about decorating the White House for Christmas. Um, and then here, quote, okay. And then I do it and say that I'm working on Christmas and planning for the Christmas. And they said, oh, what about the children that were separated? Give me a effing break. Where are they? Some of it's just confusing to read. Um, were they saying anything about that when Obama did that? She said, um, she said, I cannot go. I was trying to get the kid reunited with the mom. I didn't have a chance. Needs to go through the process and through the law. Wow, that, that's just a word salad out of her mouth. But that's just a little taste of, of some comments about how uh, Donald Trump's wife feels about being first lady. Um, obviously, she doesn't like the job. I guess she, it probably wasn't in the prenups when they got married um, a couple decades ago. Uh, <laughs> it's it's dumb it's dumb and this isn't even the too dumb to be true like this no. is just news no none, none of this none of this has no. been that segment um uh, connor do you think it will affect the evangelical christians that vote for donald trump that his wife uh used the f word in christmas in the same sentence and not I, in a positive way i guess well for me it just shows that the war on christmas still continues <laughs> even with the heralds we thought we had that nevertheless she persisted and continues to attack christmas and so i don't feel safe saying merry christmas still and i hope you don't either it will yeah. be happy holidays from the, this white house the call is coming from inside the house on the war on christmas <laughs> but like also on another level like it's kind of stereotypical and kind of outdated for ha to have the first lady be in charge of decorating the white house for christmas so like fine i'll let like she shouldn't have said it and like she should understand her role better but like hey listen i get it too melania don't make me decorate I, a house for christmas well you're it's not the, the first gentleman but <laughs> it's not it's it's the children that get me you're right that's you're like right. the most it's, it's the worst part of it yeah i guess i have to remind myself that when melania immigrated to the united states she came on um a genius visa mm -hmm. which is for people who will contribute, I guess, like intellectually and through their career to the to the furtherment of the United States. Which it, it was interpreted the loosely, of the Rose Garden. Yeah, interpreted loosely, I suppose she has done some of those things. But interesting, if I were her, I would I would probably um well, I don't know what I would do if I were her. I hope I'm never in that kind of situation. Um, yeah, but you're right. I think that the funny part to talk about is are the words about Christmas. The really horrifying stuff is her just really not caring about the the evil policies us, of her husband. She told us with her jacket she wore. You're right. She I wore don't the really jacket. Care, do you? Yep. Um, but this, the, I I want to I want to push back on it not being her job to intercede. Like if you look back at First Lady's past, especially in recent years. 
like Michelle Obama took on like initiatives of her own, like healthy eating in public schools. Um, I don't know what George Bush's wife did. I was a child. I think I reading remember. maybe. Yeah, I think, no, I think that's right. I think like literacy. So that's like mm-hmm. excellent. And then back in the nineties, Hillary Clinton was like championed like healthcare reform, which ended up failing, but like still like, she ended up like doing a lot of stuff for children's healthcare. And it's like first ladies like don't just like sit sit around anymore. Like like she needs to do something. And like hey, we we as taxpayers have... give her a budget to work with. And I mean she's doing nothing. I mean she's complaining about decorating. Um she's doing her be best anti-cyberbullying campaign right. that her husband has not learned. And she's just started a like drug rehabilitation program right after the debate she announced that which it always comes with a sense of irony like i think she is aware of how ironic it is yeah i think she just actually like in her own words like doesn't care yep i think there's just a complete lack of caring which is like like, i don't i she just is not my biggest concern what we can do in november is replace her with jill biden who will be more than happy to decorate the white house for christmas i assure you decorate this year for christmas so i bet she's not too thrilled about that uh, this could be your last year this could be your last year doing it um which is excellent um okay that's that's just enough just enough about that um now connor tell us again more bad news about the uh the tennessee speaker of the house uh calling to cut shelby county's health department's autonomy tell us about that. so apparently in just again this isn't news too dumb to be true but couldn't it be the house house speaker of the tennessee house um cameron sexton is going to introduce measures to reduce the authority of shelby county health department and five other health departments operating independently of the state these five are like metro areas with sizable populations um this is important because the past two weeks tennessee has recorded the highest deaths below four states, so like fifth highest in deaths total in the entire pandemic. Um, like the Shelby County Health Department acts independently because it's in charge of such a large metro area. Like it can't, it can't wait for Bill Lee to make an executive order after he's done on a boat parade um, to to say, hey, maybe we should wear masks, even though he won't say we wear masks. So thank goodness the Shelby County Health Department and all these metro health departments are operating independently because there's been a lack of leadership from the state on how to handle this pandemic. And you have, right now at least, the metro area is relatively in control of their virus outbreaks where you have rural Tennesseans is spiraling out of control with infections and whatnot. And because this week you had like Governor Bill Lee lose, took back all restrictions on all the 89 counties in Tennessee besides the six metro ones. Um, because it's working, I guess, is why they want to stop it from happening. Yeah. I, I'll actually, I, let, me, let me actually push back on that. My, my mayor of a, of a county of 30,000 people actually um, renewed our mask mandate for another week. Um, so things are going well in Henry County. We have actually like a, a very low um, like rate of COVID right now. And it's because we have a mask mandate. Like not everyone's following it, but like enough are to keep our numbers low. So I'll push back. I think some rural areas are capable <laughs> of doing this, but like you said, like most, like most are not. And I think for me, this is just another example of 
of rural legislators in charge in Nashville pushing their will onto uh, cities that they deem like incapable of self-governance. And it's just funny for conservatives to be like all about small government until it comes time to tell like largely black areas of the state, like what to do. It just, yeah. Yeah. I, I, it frustrates me to know in that, that this is even proposed and I throw this in there. I got asked about it on my interview for Carival Alderman about the, like what my opinion was of this. And if this like whatever legislation directive order passes, then the municipal governments of Shelby County. So the suburbs will have to be responsible for funding a health department, which they cannot do, especially now with such low tax revenues. So like, it's all to this idea, like you said, of like small government, except when it's working and mind blowing, just mind blowing that all right now all we're week. trying to strip away public health and the funding it needs and the, the authority it needs because it's working too well and people aren't getting as sick as they are in other places. And you know what? jump back to like our first episode get me on this tangent the state has money to pay businesses we have four billion dollars in rainy day funds to pay it's just sitting around to give lifelines to businesses because they don't have the additional revenue from increased capacity because increased capacity increases transmission it's it's their own design it is it is connor it is Listeners, I hope, I hope you're listening because this is a problem and local politics matter. And even if you're not from Tennessee, I have a, a sneaking suspicion that your state legislatures are doing similar things. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it is a problem. Like you said, it's your, uh, the, the move to, to get rid of the Shelby County Health Department's autonomy is you're, you're throwing away an umbrella in a thunderstorm just because you aren't getting wet. Um, that's... It's what it is. And just uh, like the, it goes to the whole narrative that you can't have public health succeed and the economy succeed when the two are intrinsically linked. Like the economy I, can only succeed when the public is healthy. Yeah. And that's, that's all I will say on that. Yeah. And the better your economy is, the better public health you can have. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Well, my news too dumb to be true this week is going to sound a little familiar because we already talked about it, but my, my little bit is that a Rose Garden ceremony to celebrate an anti-healthcare nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court has turned into a super spreader event for COVID-19. It's not funny, but it does sound too dumb to be true. It's mm-hmm. funny. I'll say it. I think it's funny. I think it's karma at its finest. It's karma and science working together to show us that, yes, you can be stupid and still get sick. It's, it's something that would happen in an episode of Veep, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, okay. Keep, Look for we'll Joe keep, Biden. Keep, yeah. Oh, um, so now it's my turn to give some recommendations. I have a few. Um, my first is, um, and I like, just thought of this like while we were recording, is for listeners to find time to watch the film, The Death of Stalin. Um, so this is a film with Steve Buscemi and it's like a parody of the death of Joseph Stalin. Um, but not really a parody. Not really a parody. Well, I'm, I, 
it's a little bit of a parody, but it's, it's also satire. like there it's satire. That's yeah, that's a better that's a better description. Um, but yeah, it's it's very like it's funny. Like you don't have to be like a student of history to enjoy this film. Um, I think it's on Netflix, so like go watch it. Um, also Saturday Night Live. Um, the season started last night. Very enjoyable episode. Kind of a like just a nice moment um, for me at least. And then um, season six of Shit's Creek is on Netflix now. If you're not a Shit's Creek fan, you should be. Um, Connor, I know you and I both are big fans. Um, it's such a feel-good show with lots of good like like good actors, like funny. It's it's a comedy, but it's also like deals with like some very like topical things. Um, so check that out if you have some free time. But those are my recommendations. Um, yeah, Connor, do you have anything else? No, no. Um, yeah, Saturday Night Live was like weirdly normal. But also, not the sharpest. they're in person. They had an audience and they were in person. Yeah, not the sharpest it's been, but like they've been off for seven months. So I'm okay with that. But I agree. I agree. Yeah. Um, no yeah. one asked for my SNL review, but no, there it was. they didn't. <laughs> they didn't. Um, okay. Well, everyone, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, send in like questions or topics or anything you want us to chat about on the show. We love interaction with our listeners. Um, and then once we stop, chatting um we're gonna plug in some interviews that we did with some of our fellow college students um, about voting so we hope you enjoy those and we will have those um through the election we're we're still in the process of recording um so we hope you enjoy that little and story. so also if you're interested in sharing what your voting plan is um reach out to pierce and i and yeah. we'd be happy to record and put you on put you on here yeah yeah okay have a good week everyone Okay, welcome to the Citizen's Guide, Lucy and Charlotte. So the first thing, um, just each one of you, just introduce yourselves, like your name, where you go to school, major, hometown. Um, I'm Lucy, I'm a senior at Swanee. I'm a history major, art history minor, and I'm from Raleigh. Hi, I'm Charlotte, I'm from Savannah, Georgia. I'm a senior at Swanee and I'm majoring in international global studies and minoring in politics. Um, so what is y'all's voting plan this year? I'm voting absentee since we'll be at school. I'm voting absentee as well. Starting with Charlotte, um, what is motivating you to vote this year? I'm voting for women's rights in the future of the earth. I'm voting, besides the obvious, I'm voting for, yeah, what Charlotte said, women's rights, the rights of people that aren't just white men <laughs> just for the yeah future of our planet future of just like i don't know i just feel like this election is very stressful and there's a very obvious right and wrong um so what are y'all doing to get other people to vote that could be friends family strangers i feel like it's like a lot of, like most people at sorting are so like i feel like our job here isn't very hard but I've been sharing a lot on Instagram, like using Instagram as a resource, Twitter, social media, posting on Facebook, arguing with racist family members, you know, doing the doing good. Charlotte? Yes, <laughs> me too, Lucy. I agree with Lucy. I'm doing all of that. And I think we're just having more conversations about the election in general with our friends and like in classes and just um, on campus. Like, yeah, we're having a debate watch party on Tuesday. Um, yep. 
All right, great. Um, thank you so much for joining us, both of you. It has been such a joy to do this and learn about um, your plans to vote. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Hey, Zach, welcome to the Citizen's Guide. Um, would you care to introduce yourself to the audience? Sure. Um, I'm Zach. I'm from Memphis originally. I'm a junior uh, math major. Um, I don't know what else. Yeah, that's good, Zach. Thank you. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Um, what is your voting plan this year? Um, I will be early voting. Um, so I guess I think that starts October 14th, right, in Tennessee. I actually have to double check, but I'm going to go vote as early as I can. Um, early and often, as they say. And I'm going um, to vote for the Democrats. Down the ticket. Very good. So what's motivating you to vote this year? Um, um, I mean, mainly Donald Trump. I don't think he should be president. And um, I mean, the Republican Party as a whole, the way they, um, <clears throat> I guess, I mean, just the way they support Donald Trump. You know, there's no such thing as a good Republican anymore. Like even Mitt Romney, you know, people like oh, Mitt Romney, but still he's like implicit in all this. So that's that, like just to, I really think we need to, um, I think the Republican party needs to be destroyed electorally. Yeah, so, that's, that's a big motivation. Yeah. Um, so with that in mind, what are you doing uh, to get other people to vote such as like your family, your friends, um, or just uh, generally other people? Um, well, definitely like talking to my friends about it, whatever, but um, also, I'm texting, I'm uh, text banking. I did the training for that like last week and I've been doing it a little bit. I've been too busy to do it much the past week and a half, but I'm um, trying to get back into that more. Just reach out to people. They have a lot of people texting. It's crazy. They send like a million texts a day. Are you text banking for Joe Biden? Yeah, it's for, well, I think it's technically for the Democratic Party or like the Victory Committee. So it's like, it's like, uh, are you voting for the Democrats? Joe Biden and the Democrats. Um, but yeah, yeah. Cool. That's, that's great, Zach. Um, yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me.